There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. We're going to cross over to Washington, D.C. Kevin McAleese is our reporter there and joins us on the line. Kevin, a very good evening from Dubai. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Very well, thank you. Now, Kevin, you've got a couple of stories for us uh, today. And we're going to start with uh, the California fire. It's continuing to rage. And of course, there's been some fatalities. These fires we see in California on a regular basis, particularly in the drier seasons. But of course, uh, there's no respite for people there. None whatsoever. Uh, The wildfire in in Northern California is growing bigger by the day and has really ramped up in terms of its devastation over the weekend. Uh, The car fire, that C-A-R-R, as it's known, is in in Shasta County in California, has now uh, claimed the lives of six people. We know that seven people are missing. And on top of the human cost in all of this, it's destroyed almost 900 uh, buildings and torched almost 100,000 acres. And the fire has pretty much doubled in size, according to local officials, over the weekend. And this is what's alarming. It's only 17% contained. Forecasters are also saying there's more trouble uh, on the horizon because this disastrous mixture of high temperatures, low humidity, and of course the increased winds which are spreading this fire uh, are expected to make matters even worse before uh, firefighters can, can get this under any sort of control. And of course, there are some really tragic stories we've been hearing coming out of this situation, uh, none more so than uh, one man reportedly who just had a few minutes on the telephone with his wife and his two great-grandchildren before they died after the fire destroyed their home. Really sad stuff. And Kevin, it's very, it's very difficult for us here to get just a sense, you know, you think about a fire, people think, well, I'm sure if there was a fire, I would have plenty of time to get out. Um, but it's not quite as simple as that when it comes to wildfires uh, during the hot, dry summers in California, is it? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I, I mean, they just move with such pace. Um, uh, and, you know, it's indiscriminate, uh, and they jump. These fires have an explosive quality, you know, to spread, and in fact, there are other pockets of of wildfires springing up in California. It's not just this devastating wildfire in Shasta County. There are others because of the conditions that you touched upon uh, in your introduction uh, that have now started up, and resources are fully stretched. I mean, they Mm. are at a maximum right now, but they're still being leaned heavily on to try and contain other breakouts. It's, it, is a, it is a recurring problem, it does seem, in California. And like you said, resources do get stretched. There's only so many firefighters, you know, they can employ only so much, you know, water they can safely transport to those areas. Look, just moving on now, Kevin, wildfires, not only in California, but in Washington, D.C. as well. Trump, of course, is threatening to shut down government once again. That's right. And no surprises, really, because last month, month Donald Trump reluctantly, you'll remember, agreed to sign a trillion-dollar U.S. spending bill. That bill at the time did not include his demands for funding his border wall, uh, nor did it uh, include his demands for massive changes to the immigration system. That, of course, is an ongoing fight. But at the time, when he reluctantly signed it, he said, he went on the record, said, I will never sign a spending bill like that Again, well, we're going to put Trump to the test on this because we're now just a few weeks away from seeing if he'll follow through on that threat. He is convinced immigration is a winning issue for Republicans. 
He believes it energizes his base. But that policy has attracted plenty of outrage. And of course, you know, none more so than those recent child separations on the U.S. border as part of his administration's zero tolerance policy. And that makes Republicans nervous. While, that, while his party has congressional majority, they're not all behind Donald Trump's demands. We're just a few months out from the midterms. Normally, when the issue of a government shutdown comes up, you've got both political parties blaming one another. Well, this time round, there's no doubt if it goes ahead and does close, this is on Trump. He's owning it. And Kevin, you've mentioned there, obviously, this kind of policy does play well uh, with Donald Trump's base. And obviously, he can come in for quite a lot of criticism. In terms of media coverage over in America, what is the sort of what what are we sort of hearing from the press? Because obviously, there's um, a very different kind of media in America. It's quite clearly partisan. They do talk about saying which way they lean. But of course, is President Trump getting a lot of criticism for perhaps being at the root cause of the government shutting down? Because it comes down to it. Sometimes, Kevin, people don't even get paid. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is, this is what happens when a government shutdown goes ahead. Uh, the estimate, uh, you know, it estimates around 850,000 workers would be, you know, put on some form of leave. Uh, that's out of a total three and a half million who could be told to stay home without pay, importantly. And what happens is you get sort of split into two categories when this government shutdown looms, essential and non-essential. And those essential services are things like national security, active military personnel, air traffic control, medical services, you know, p- people who basically are running America's prison service, they will stay in employ. But the non-essential, people like from the Department of Housing, the Environment, Education, visa and transport uh, passport services they could be threatened and when this happened back in october uh, around 800,000 people were granted leave so it does have a massive effect but politically it's it's dangerous because politically it just looks you know like uh, you're you're unable to conduct the duties of office and of government and if Donald Trump and his party with a majority aren't capable of running the country effectively and efficiently, uh, then I think it comes down to them. And and that's risky, especially in an election year. Certainly sends out a a very uh, strong message to voters, whether they were for or against him. You know, having that government shutdown is a massive disruption uh, for everyone involved. Um, You know, an NLT mentioned uh, uh, about press coverage of this potential shutdown and how, how that is perceived. And of course, Donald Trump um, is known known for his attacking of the press, uh, the mainstream press, as he calls it. And uh, he launched a very recent attack on uh, newspapers in particular and then had a meet in New York Times. But then, um, as you know, some might say he's used to doing, sort of went back on what came out of that meeting. What more can you tell us? Yeah, it's interesting. He's effectively reignited his feud with the New York Times. That's been long running as a campaigner and as a president. Uh, He held this um, off-the-record meeting with the the New York Times publisher, A.G. Salzberger, uh, but then he went on to tweet about the the details of that private meeting. So, you know, the New York Times publisher fired back, as you'd expect, 
uh, because Trump tweeted that the two men had discussed what he called a va the vast amount of fake news and how it had morphed, as Trump put it in his tweet, into the phrase enemy of the people. Well, Salzberger wasn't having that. Uh, his version of the story is very different to Donald Trump's. There was a sharp rebuttal from him. He, he said that, quote, he told the president directly uh, that I thought his language was not just divisive but increasingly dangerous. I told him, says Salzberger, that although the phrase fake news is untrue and harmful, I'm more concerned about him labeling journalists the enemy of the people. And that was the crux of Salzberger's uh, response to Donald Trump de deciding to share what was a private meeting. Um, he said, he added, uh, go after me, Trump, go after the New York Times, that he should reconsider his attacks on journalism. Of course, Donald Trump has described parts of the US media as the enemy of the people on several occasions now. And Kevin, if we can move from current president to former Mr. President, Barack Obama, we're talking about, of course, uh, Mr. President uh, Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama were uh, spotted on date night and it was quite an unusual date. They were at a Beyonce and Jay-Z concert near Washington, D.C. over the weekend. Yeah, that's right. And they were there with some of uh, some of my fellow colleagues here at uh, FSN as well, um, who, who also spotted them. There were lots of videos uh, suddenly popping up over the weekend on social media showing uh, Bar Barack and Michelle Obama uh, enjoying themselves, having a dance at the, uh, the gig at uh, FedEx Field, a huge, huge venue. That's where the Washington Redskins play their, uh, their football. Uh, Michelle Obama, though, is something of a super fan, it's fair to say. Uh, she actually was spotted um, at a different Beyonce concert just two weeks ago, this time in Paris. Um, I think, you know, there's a long-standing friendship there between the f former First Lady uh, and Beyonce and the two families. Of course, Beyonce teamed up with Michelle Obama in 2011. That was part of the First Lady's Let's Move campaign. That was a, her, her fight against, you know, rampant U.S. childhood obesity. And Beyonce also performed, of course, at the, the, the first couple's inaugural dance back in 2009, mm. where she sang mm. Etta James at last. And uh, she also performed at the presidential inauguration for uh, Barack Obama in 2013, where, of course, she sang the U.S. national anthem. Now, it's kind of nice to have friends in high places. I don't know which of the two couples are, um, you know, on the receiving end of having the most powerful friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. It's a, it's a remarkable, remarkable combination, isn't it? And also the other thing about uh, you know Barack and Michelle Obama is they always look so at ease yeah. as, a, as a couple, even under the pressure and the strain of the duties of of office and White House, and you know they always looked like the real deal, didn't they? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, certainly letting their hair down at FedEx Field uh, in front of another super powerful couple, Beyonce and Jay Z. Kevin McAleese in Washington D.C. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.